the plea and affliction. Lamentations chapter 1, verses 12 through 22. Remember, this is God's word. God's word that is able to equip us for every good work. Jerusalem cries out, is it nothing to you, all who pass by? Look and see if there is any sorrow like my sorrow, which was brought upon me, which the Lord inflicted in the day of his fierce anger. From on high, he sent into my bones. He made it descend. He spread a net for my feet. He turned me back. He has left me stunned, faint all day long. My transgressions were bound into a yoke by his hand. They were fastened together. They were set upon my neck. He caused my strength to fail. The Lord gave me into the hands of those whom I cannot withstand. The Lord rejected all my mighty men in my midst. He summoned an assembly against me to crush my young men. The Lord has trodden as in a winepress, the virgin daughter of Judah. For these things I weep. My eyes flows. My eyes flow with tears, for a comforter is far from me, one to grieve my, uh, to revive my spirit. My children are desolate, for the enemy has prevailed. Zion stretches out her hand, but there is none to comfort her. The Lord has commanded against Jacob that his neighbors should be his foes. Jerusalem has become a filthy thing among them. The Lord is in the right, for I have rebelled against his word. But hear all you peoples and see my suffering. My young women and my young men have gone into captivity. I called to my lovers, but they deceived me. My priests and elders perished in the city while they sought food to revive their strength. Look, O Lord, for I am in distress. My stomach churns, my heart is wrong within me because I have been very rebellious. In the street, the sword bereaves, in the house, it is like death. They heard my groaning, yet there is none to comfort me. All my enemies have heard of my trouble. They are glad that you have done it. You have brought a the day you announce, now let them be as I am. Let all their evil doing come before you and deal with them as you have dealt with me because of all my transgressions. For my groans are many and my heart is faint. May God bless his holy word. <clears throat> I want to ask you a question. Can your theology 
handle suffering. I want you to think about that for a minute. Can what you know about God, about his word, about Christ, about Christ's suffering, does all these things factor in to the way you suffer? Paul uh, uh, Teague, he writes this, he observed this. He says, many professing Christians reason this way when they are thinking about suffering. He says this, quote, God is love. This is how many Christians reason. God is love. He would never intentionally bring pain and suffering into my life. Do you ever reason like that? God is love. God love. God is so loving. He would never cause me to suffer. He would never bring pain into my life. He goes on. He says, therefore, the grief I experienced some say it's from some impersonal force like fate, something random out of control. It certainly cannot be from God. He is too good to let me suffer. End quote. Have you ever thought like that? Has such thoughts entered your mind? This attitude really doesn't reflect the truth of scripture. God is loving us in the good times and he is loving us even in the bad times. He is loving us when we're in good health. He is loving us even when we are in bad health. He is working to bring about good for us and glory for himself. Ephesians 1 verse 11 says, God works all things after the counsel of his own will. The good times and the bad times. Romans 8 28 says, all things work together, all things, the good, the bad. When I am healthy, when I am sick, when things are going good, when things are going bad, God works all things together for good to those who love him. Job said it best in the midst of his suffering in Job 2 and 10, his theology was sound when he said, shall we receive good at the hand of God and not receive evil? You see, sound theology, it, it, it steadies the boat of our mind and our hearts. In a sense, sound theology in the midst of suffering creates worshipers. It's really what God is after. Uh, God is, is after our worship. As Moses uh, began to understand the, the challenge 
of what God had called him to and, and perhaps all the things that would would come about as a result of what God was was calling him to do among the people of Israel. Moses cried out for sound theology. He cried out and he prayed. He prayed to God and said, God, show me your glory. Why does he pray that? Because it is God's glory that's going to get him through the tough time that he was about. It's just when, when Moses prayed that prayer, he had already seen great things that God had done. He had already he had already met God at, at the burning bush and taken out. He already understood something about God, but he realized that there was more to, to God that he needed to know. He needed to show up his theology because he understood the adversity that he was not only about to experience as far as uh, the, the enemies of God, but also among the people of God. He cried out, show me your glory. The psalmist said in Psalm 119, verse 169, let my cry come before you, O Lord. Notice, it, that's the first thing. Let my cry come before you. He's, when I cry, let it come before you, O Lord. That's not where he ends. This theology is not solely based upon God just hearing his cry. He adds, give me understanding according to your word. I'm talking about theology of suffering that not only cries out to God, but also looks to him for understanding of who he is and of his ways. And, and so times of suffering, God is loving us. He is teaching us. He, he is putting us in his classroom and he is giving us the opportunity to study theology. <laughs> Hallelujah. To study theology. There is always more that we can know about him. There's always more that we can know. It's amazing how arrogant we can be. Thinking we have a full understanding of who God is. Not realizing we have just touched the hem of his garment. Of knowing him. And so God sends us into the classroom of adversity so that we can learn sound theology. Walter Kaiser said this about lack of theology and suffering of, of many believers. He said this, he said, quote, suffering, grief and pain are familiar. Uh, if unwelcome visitors to most lives. Oftentimes, the believer has not been aided or prepared by a solid exposition of scripture or a theology of suffering to cope with suffering as it comes in national disaster, in death, 
in depression and separation and rejection and things like this. He says, too frequently, the only place many turn in such circumstances is to medical trained uh, clinicians. Now, this is not to say that a referral to medical profession is not altogether appropriate at times, but we do maintain that grief management, grief management as the phrase goes these days, is the business of the gospel as well. And books like Job and Ecclesiastes and even in Lamentations, they, they may be hard to read, but they are God's instruction book on suffering. They, they, they are God's instruction. Lamentations is like a template it is a template that Jeremiah is given to Judah and Jerusalem that it's a template of how they are to respond in, in times of affliction. Jeremiah is showing up their theology. And so that they can respond as you read, as Pastor Moore read Psalm 25. I, I hope you were paying attention to that psalm. That psalm is a is, is a template of how we should respond in the midst of our suffering. How do you respond? Is your response reflective of your deep understanding of God and his word? That's what the psalmist were really laying out for us in Psalm 25. He had a deep under, his theology was deep. And I, and I must say this before we get into our text. Uh, oftentimes when we're going through affliction and suffering, sometimes it's because we sin. And sometimes it's not because it, it's because God want to take us through something. It's not always because we sin. And, 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 and I have to say that because Lamentations is written uh, to a people who have sinned terribly. They were rebellious, but it's not always so that we are. That, that God is working and sending affliction and suffering into our lives because we sin. It could be just that God wants us to know him better. So let's look at the text. And let's look at Jeremiah template for Jerusalem and how she is to respond to suffering. First, we'll see the cry, the cry, the cry of having come to the end of, her, of herself. Look at verse 12. Is there nothing? Is it nothing to you all? You who pass by? Jeremiah now is personifying the city of speaking. Jerusalem is now speaking. And she appeals to the passerbyers and acts. Does anyone care about what has happened to me? <laughs> Look and, and see if there is any sorrow like my sorrow, which was brought upon me. She is inviting others into her sorrow. And, and, 
when, when suffering come, uh, it's okay to, to, to get others involved. We, we just read in second Corinthians, how God is the God of all comfort. Why? So that we can comfort others. And sometimes it is necessary for us to get other people involved in what we're going through. But for Jerusalem, she is crying out to the wrong people. <laughs> She's crying out and they are ignoring her. And, and, and there is something instructive in this. Something, suffering comes. It, it causes us. And, and what she is doing, she is stopping and, and she is evaluating her situation and how she feels in the midst of her situation. And, and this is what suffering does at times. It causes, it forces us to stop. It forces us to stop and, and face the problems and pressures that we are dealing with. It forces us to come to a realization that they're too big for us to resolve. She, that's what she is acknowledging. What she's going through is too much for her to resolve. And, and, and God is allowing her to see her weakness so that she can stop rebelling against him and relying upon herself and her own wisdom. She cries out, look and see if there's any sorrow like mine, which has been brought upon me. And then, and now she, she acknowledges God in, in this cry. She acknowledges, it says, she says, which the Lord inflicted on the day of his fierce anger. Her, her sorrow is unique. She is inviting others to see her sorrow because it is unique. It, it is divinely appointed. And, 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 and this too says something and it instructs us about our circumstances and situations. If Romans 8 and 28 is true, and it is, what comes into our lives is by a divine appointment. God has, he sends it and there is a purpose end it. Once again, this is, this is the remember last Sunday I said that there was a buffer between uh, the people of God and the enemies of God. And that buffer is God himself. She is crying out, which the Lord not, even though the Babylonians, we know that they were involved in this, they were just the instrument. It is the Lord who has inflicted her on the day of his fierce anger. God's fierce anger here is his righteous, holy, burning anger against all sin and those who rebel against him. You can think of God's anger in this way. God's holy anger is his holiness stirred into action. God's holiness that is stirred into action against sin. These are rebellious people. They had rebelled time and time again. And Jeremiah warned them over and over again. And he warned them that, that they were storing up God's wrath for themselves. Turn to, to Jeremiah 4. Jeremiah 4 and verse 1. 
Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 3 and 4. In fact, let's go up to verse 1. Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 1. If you return, O Israel, declares the Lord, to me, you should, uh, to me, you should return. If you remove your detestable things from my presence and do not waver, and if you swear, as the Lord lives in truth and justice and in righteousness, the nations shall bless themselves in him, and in him shall the shall they glory for thus says the lord to the men of judah and jerusalem break up your follow ground follow ground and sow not among thorns circumcise yourselves to the lord remove the foreskin of your hearts o men of judah and inhabitants of jerusalem least my wrath go forth like fire and burn with none to quench it because of the evil of your deeds. They were warned. They were warned that God would 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 uh, send his wrath because of their evil deeds. And Jeremiah uses uh, dramatic image images to to illustrate what God has done. First, look at the text. Jerusalem suffered a consume, the consuming fire of God's judgment. Look at verse 13. From on high, he sent fire. Notice from on high. This refers to God's dwelling place in heaven. What has taken place uh, in Jerusalem has come from heaven itself. It has come from the very throne of God. God has sent what has taken place in Jerusalem. Her calamity has came from God himself. And he says, from on high, he sent fire. Fire is a picture of, of God's holy burning anger against sin. And, and notice, Jeremiah says, into my bones. Notice, he made it descend. <laughs> God is involved in the total process of not just her outward affliction, but also her inner affliction. God is involved in all of it. God is the one involved. And so it's like fire, Jeremiah says, a consuming fire that she could not escape. Second, God not only sent fire, but he also tangled Jerusalem in his net, the people of Jerusalem in his net. Notice he spread a net for my feet. God made it so that she couldn't escape. A circumstance, the circumstances or the consequences of her sin. And typically in the scripture, when a, a net was used, it was used by the enemy. Turn to Psalm 35, verse 7. 
And here, David is speaking of his enemies. Psalm 35, verse 7. For without cause, they hid their nets from me. Without cause, they dug a pit for my life. What is David talking about here? His enemies was trying to catch him. They hid their net. God didn't hide what he was doing to the nation of Israel. And Jeremiah wants them to understand that. He spread a net for my feet, Jeremiah says. And, and, and this is God. This is God acting. And we must notice something important here. God is acting as her enemy. If the enemy is throughout scripture, it was the enemy that spread. And now God is spreading a net for his people. And, and, and he has done it in such a way he has sent Babylon upon his people in such a way that they can escape his judgment. They were caught by Babylon and dragged away because of the consequences of their sins. And Jerusalem tried to escape. Notice what Jeremiah says. He spread a feet for my feet. He turned me back. They were trying to, they were trying to escape what God said was going to come about. But God Turn her back. She, she cannot escape what God is doing. She cannot avoid what God is doing. And he goes on. He has left me stunned, faint all the day long. God has humbled his people. They, they And God knows how to humble. Uh, can I say that again? God knows how to humble you. Children, God knows how to humble you. He knows how to get you on your face. He knows how to get you to stop trying to live your life your own way. God knows how to do that. He has done it with his people. He has left me stunned, faint all the day long. He knows how to humble the proud and the rebellious. He knows how to do that. And so in this cry, there is an acknowledgement of God. What God, And this is Jeremiah teaching the people, you are to acknowledge the, 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 the truth of what God has done. And now we'll see there is an acknowledgement of sin. In verse 14, my transgressions were bound into a yoke by, notice, his hand. They were fashioned together. They were set upon my neck. A yoke is something that, that was used to tie two working animals together to pull a heavy load. And the yoke itself was, was a not only was there a burden of the load that was being pulled, but the yoke itself was was a burden. And and often in scripture, uh, a yoke is again as fire used 
for the judgment of God, or it could be used for uh, the, the people being overtaken by a stronger, uh, stronger nation. But it is God. God in judgment has bound his. Re- These people were rebellious. They were doing their own thing. And now they're bound. They can't do anything. God has stopped their activity. They're bound. Turn to Deuteronomy 20, 28, verse 47. And again, this is the result of the curse of disobeying God. Verse 48, therefore you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you in hunger, in thirst, in nakedness, and lacking everything. And he will put a yoke of iron on your neck until he has destroyed you. The Lord will bring a nation against you from far away, from the end of the earth, swooping down like the eagle, a nation whose language you do not understand. God said it was coming. God told him it was coming. And that's, this is a reflection of the true nature of human beings. We're hard-headed. We we are hard. We don't like to think that way, but we're hard-headed. Just like the people of Israel. God warned them. God said, this is what's going to take place. It's just like us sitting here right now reading our word. And they ignored it. And many of us do the same thing. We read God's word. And and, and what we do is we'll say, no, that's not going to happen to me. Or we'll read it and say, oh, that's not talking about me. We have somebody else in mind. And perhaps that's what was happening with the nation of Israel. But they cannot escape it. God has caused her strength, her strength to fail. That's what Jeremiah said. He caused my strength to fail. The Lord gave me into the hands of those whom I cannot withstand. God has placed his people in the yoke of captivity to serve Babylon. They can't escape. And no matter how hard they may try, they cannot undo what God has said he would do. In Deuteronomy 38, uh, as you were Deuteronomy 32 and 39, God says, see now that I, even I am he. There is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. And there is none that can deliver out of my hand. In Isaiah 14, verse 27, the Lord 
speaks the Lord of hosts, has purpose, and who will annul it? His hand is stretched out, and who will turn it back? God has caused the, the strength of his people to fail. He has given them into the hands of her enemy. He has, he has zapped her strength. He has sent fire from on high. Who can turn it back? Who, who, who can, can stop what God is doing? And again, this is the result of the people's sin. But oftentimes when God is dealing with us, as I said earlier, it may not be because of our sin. And we still can't stop what God is doing in our lives. Whatever he sins, we cannot stop it. We can't change it and we can't escape the consequences of it. Fourth thing we'll see here is that the Lord rejected all my mighty men in the midst in my midst. He summoned an assembly against me to crush my young men. And again, this speaks of the fact that they cannot resist what God. God has crushed Judah and Jerusalem and, and he has trampled upon them like a person would trample upon grapes to release their juice. Jeremiah says the Lord has trodden as in a wine press the, the virgin daughter of Judah. Judah is in the wine press to be trampled, to be pressed, to be bruised, to be crushed. That language sounds familiar, don't it? Sounds like Isaiah 53 does. As we read this, 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 this text, I hope that in this you are beginning to appreciate the Lord Jesus Christ taking the wrath of God for you. It's easy for us to read this and say, oh, this ain't got nothing because we, we're reading this. Oh, this ain't got nothing to do with me. And miss that it has all to do with you because this is Christ has borne the wrath of God for you, you. And, and the amazing thing about this is that God could have destroyed his people. He could have wiped them out of the face of it, but he didn't. He made them suffer. And that is a, a mercy of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. These things may seem terrible, but it could be worse. God could have wiped them out and they would the people of Israel would have no longer been. God is even in his judgment upon them. He is having mercy because of what Christ has done upon the cross. So don't miss the harshness of what is being said as God comes against his people, because then you will miss the blessing we have in Christ. Jeremiah goes on in verse 16, for these things I, I weep, my eyes flow with tears. There is an unending flow of tears coming from the people of God. For a comforter is far from me. 
wanting to revive my spirit. My children are desolate for the enemy has prevailed. There, there is no one to give comfort. There, there is no one to revive. And even the Lord God himself has set himself against the people to where they understand that there is none to comfort me. If God doesn't comfort me, there is none to comfort me. Verse 17, Zion stretches out her hand. She is stretching out her hand in desperation, seeking help and comfort from others. But there is none to comfort her. There is no one to comfort her, to support her, to bring aid to her. There is no one that can help lessen the suffering that she is going going through. And, and again, this is this is mercy. Because when God takes away all of the supports of life, who is left? Him. He is the he 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 is left. When we began to realize the world and how the world is 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 that we can't depend upon the things of the world. We began to realize that we can't depend upon other people when it's just us and God. That is a good place to be. It, it, it is a it is a when you're crushed and and you are bruised and and God is allowing the circumstances to press in and there is no one to relieve the pressure. That's a good place, beloved. I can tell you that there is that is a good place for you to be. I've had times in my life where I was crushed. And all I had. My friends left. Family wasn't there. I was in a room by myself. But God was there. I was in the room by myself because I put myself there because of my sin. That's why I appreciate Christ and his glory. Because God crushed me. He broke me of myself by showing me the consequences of my sin. And that's what God is doing with his people. He want them to see this is what sin does in your life. Don't miss it. Drink it up. Drink the whole cup. Taste it all. This is what sin does. And it is then when we began to cry and, and tears are flowing, when we began to appreciate who God is. God has crushed his people. There is none to comfort. And rather than looking to God, they, they, they turn to other nations and idols. And as she tried to turn to her neighbors, Jeremiah says, Zion stretched out her hands. The Lord Command, has commanded against Jacob that his neighbor should be 
his foe. The people that the people of God are looking to, God has made them her foe now. Her neighbors has become her enemies. And it says that Jerusalem has become a filthy thing among them. They don't want to hang out with God's people anymore because they now see her uncleanness and her neighbors have turned their back upon her. And it's the Lord that is doing this. The Lord is causing the, 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 the neighbors, those who perhaps helped her at one time, the Lord is causing them to turn back. The Lord is isolating her in every way. The Lord, the Lord is doing this. The Lord is doing this. But now let's see the confession. Notice in verse 18, there's a confession. There's a confession of God's righteousness and there is a confession of sin. The Lord is in the right. Picture all that is going on. The suffering. And we're getting to chapter two. It gets even worse. It gets even more graphic. The people, the city was, was, was under siege for 18 months and the people were starving to the point that the women began to ponder whether or not they should eat. They should eat their children. Or, or eat the, the, uh, the, uh, after, after birth from a child being born. And Jeremiah says here, he wants them to acknowledge the Lord is, is in the right in what he has brought about, for I have rebelled against his word. Jerusalem is to confess that God's judgment is right and she justly deserved what she is receiving from the hand of God because she has rebelled against his word. Sort of like the psalmist that cried out in Psalm 51 and 4, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Psalm 119, verse 75, the psalmist writes, I know, Lord, that your judgments are right and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. This, this is, this is, this is, the, the, the people are, are to cry out, the Lord is right in what he's doing, in his judgment. When he has brought about, he is right because I have rebelled against his word. Jerusalem goes on, but hear all you people and see my suffering. My young women and my young men have gone into captivity. Behold, she's saying, behold my misery. The misery that is both physical and, and mental. 
She said that my priests and elders perished in the city while they sought food to revive their strength. That the, the famine was so great, the people were starving, they were without strength. And and like I said, it gets worse. Turn to Lamentations chapter two. Just look ahead. And how bad God has afflicted his people. Verse 20 of chapter two. Look, O Lord, and see with whom you have dealt thus. Should women eat the fruit of their womb, the children of their tender care? Should prophets and priests be killed in the sanctuary? Turn over to chapter four, verse 10. The hands of compassionate women have boiled their own children. They become their food during the destruction of the daughter of my people. The Lord gave full, verse 11, full vent to his wrath. He poured out his hot anger and he kindled a fire in Zion that consumed his foundations. And who again is bringing about such horrible suffering? It is the Lord. And he is doing it because of the sins of his people. And the people are to recognize this, that 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 their sin exacts a horrible price upon them. There is nothing but starvation, plague and death. That follows the people of God now. Verse 21. They heard she speaks again of they heard my groaning, yet there is none. To, you see that repeat of comfort. There is none. That, that is the that is the most terrible thing in our suffering is that there is no one to comfort. That's why it is, is repeated over and over again. Yet there is no one to comfort me. All my enemies have heard of my trouble. They are glad. <laughs> they are glad that you have done it. They're happy. They're glad that that the people of God are suffering. You have brought the day you announced. Now let them be as I am. In the midst of, of, of her judgment, she cries out that God would judge her enemies. See, the enemies of God had heard about what God was doing and they rejoiced over. It. And and this is this too. Uh, is is a fulfillment of what God has said in his word. That he would destroy those who put his people through this terrible calamity. God will come and judge Babylon for what she has done, for what she has done to Israel. And the people of God notice, they know what the prophet has prophesied. And Jeremiah is calling them to remember what God has said. Verse 22, let all their evil doing come before you and deal with them as you have dealt with me because of all my transgressions. For many groans, for my groans are many and my heart is faint.
This is hard to read. And as we go further, it's going to get even harder. But this is an example of what Holy God will do to us apart from Christ. This is an example. This is an extreme example of God's hand against those who rebel against him. It doesn't mean that this will happen to you. This is just a warning. This all this is is a warning to to those who don't know God and to those of us who know God. Yes, in Christ, Christ is our buffer between God and his wrath, but sin has consequences. There is always consequences to sin. And in our text, we see this God who did the affliction. It was God who placed the yoke upon his people. It is God who, who tried, had trodden his people. It is God who had commanded the enemy to come against his people. The people of God are to see the hand of God in their affliction. And that's where deliverance starts. It starts with recognizing God and his hand, recognizing God's sovereignty in the midst of what we're going through. And once again, it may be because of our sin. It just may be because God is, is purging us and growing us and sanctifying us and setting apart uh, those areas in our lives where we're selfish. Regardless of what comes about, it is God who sins. And Charles Spurgeon says it this way, trials teach us what we are. That's why God sends us. And you see Israel starting to recognize who she is and what she has done. Trials, he says, trials teach us what we are. They dig up the soil and they let us see what we're made of. This is what affliction does. This is what suffering does. Suffering, affliction, whether physical or mental, is an opportunity to, for us to see the response of our heart. What is going on on the inside? And, and it, it puts us on the examination table so that we can see the true state of our heart. So I pray that as we go through Lamentations again, it, it is a, it's, it's a tough read, but this is God's inspired word. This is this is God's. This is in the Bible that God has given us. And the Bible says God's God's word tells us that everything that God's word is that, that everything in God's word is profitable for us. And I pray that we dare not miss what God has given us. Let us pray.
Father, and I speak for those of us in Christ, as, as you have saved us in Christ, we don't understand the totality of your wrath against our sin that Christ bore on the cross for us. This is the mystery of, 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 of wickedness. This is the mystery of sin that was spoken of in 2 Thessalonians. This is the mystery of lawlessness. We, we do not understand the, sin, the, the, the sinfulness of sin. It makes us uncomfortable when we start being, when, when, when your word confronts us with the sinfulness of sin. But Father, this is the, the truth about us, about our sin that, that, that Christ died for, and about even the remaining sin that comes about in our life. Sin is sinful. It is terrible. And it brings nothing but suffering and grief, even though it promises happiness. And so, Father, as we go through lamentations, may we always be reminded in those times where we're tempted to sin, to remember the consequences of sin upon your people, Israel. May it cause us to run away and turn away and not play with our sin. And this is what Christ called for in the Gospels. He said that if our hand causes us to sin, we're to take drastic action and cut it off. And this is, and, 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 and he's not telling us to cut off our hand, but he is saying that we are to deal with our sin and take drastic measures against our sin. This is how drastic we must deal with our sin. This is an example, Christ says. Cut off your hand. Pluck out your eye. And if the truth be told, Father, that sounds like a, a terrible thing because we love what we do with our hand. We love what we see with our eyes. We love what we think about in our mind. We love what, what, what the world offers to us. But we thank you for Christ. And so we, we are to take drastic action. But, but Christ has already taken the most drastic action for us in dying for us. And we thank you, Father, for that. And Father, as we prepare our hearts to fellowship around the table, may our time today, fellowshipping together, remembering the Lord's death, may we be reminded of the price 
that Christ paid so that we can enjoy the grace and the mercy that we now enjoy. The grace and, and the mercy that, that enables us to walk in your goodness and not experience the fullness of your wrath. Oh, how blessed we are, Father. And I pray that that reality becomes just something that stirs our hearts today around the table. For the sake of Christ, it's in his name I pray. Amen.